0: Listen, unity and brotherhood it sounds great. Oh, let's all join arms, Jesus said. By our love for one another, they will know us. And we have distorted a verse, taken it out of its context, totally abused it. He's talking about local assemblies like this, the fact that we get along and we love one another. That's how an unbelieving world, he is not saying you link with every apostate across the county and across the country, and that that's how you show your love for each other.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, senior pastor of Community Bible Church, Buford, South Carolina. We're in chapter 17 of the Revelation. Following a series of judgments inflicted by God on the earth following the rapture, we're introduced in this passage to a woman who symbolizes the city which will rise up to be the operation center of the Antichrist, a New Testament city that will bear the Old Testament name of Babylon. The character and life of this woman are symbolic of false religion. As a matter of fact, We'll see during this time that the church and the state will be wed together like never before in human history. Let's rejoin Dr. Brogy as he reads verse 4 of Revelation 17.
0: The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Not only does she have power, she she has prosperity. And so he describes her in magnificent terms. She's clothed in purple and in scarlet, listen, like a prostitute who adorns herself to lure some man This woman, with all of her prosperity and glitter, will attract the nations of the world. She's in purple. That is the single most important dye color in the first century. Only kings typically wore a purple garment. Why? Because to create purple, you got it from the matter root. And of course, it just grew in one area. We studied it when we studied the church at Thyatira. Or you could get it from the shellfish murex. And it would take so much just to create one drop of purple. In fact, it was said by Josephus in that day that a pound, to put it in our terms, a pound of gold would buy one ounce of purple. And so it was with great mockery and at his own expense that Herod put a purple robe on Jesus and said, Here, look at your king. But this woman will have great power. Notice she's adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. And when we come to the New Jerusalem, those are just trinkets in that place. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Now, while this religion appears healthy and good and prosperous, God says it is corrupt in its chalice, so to speak. It is full of abominations, of unclean things, and of immorality. It's very much like the Roman Catholic Church in our day. She, like a great prostitute, sits on many waters. It's the biggest so-called Christian religion in the world. And yet it is a religion that is filled with immoral priests, tens of thousands, bishops, cardinals that have been raping little boys and ruining lives. In her hand is a cup of gold full of abominations and of unclean things. That brings us finally to, or fourthly, to the predecessor of this false religion. Verse five teaches us something about the predecessor of this false religion. Verse five reminds us of the source of this coming religious mystery Babylon. And on her forehead a name was written. Some of your translations say mystery Babylon, or a mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the the abominations on the earth. I've taught you before, typically, when you see something that is in all capital letters, your mind should immediately think what? Old Testament. This is an Old Testament quotation. And you can normally go out into the margin and say, oh yeah, that's where it's from, and you can go back and read it in its original context. That's true of 99.999% of the time, in the New American Standard, there, or really in any Bible, depending on how they set aside Old Testament quotes. This is an exception to the rule. The exception is when a title is given. Whether it's here and the other place where it's done is the title that is written over the cross of the Lord Jesus. In mockery, Pilate wrote, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So here in verse 5, we're told something about the predecessor of this false religion. This one world religion goes back to Babylon the Great... The mother of harlots, remember that last week? We went back and we studied Babylon the Great. Now it's called Babel in some of your English Bibles, Babylon in other of your English Bibles. It's the same Hebrew word. One is the shortened version. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, every single time it's called Babylon. And if you ask a Jew today, is the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babylon, they'll tell you the latter. So all man-made religion, and this being the epitome and the climax of it all in this coming seven-year period, it all goes back to the Tower of Babel, the mother of all religions, where man built based on what he thought, not on what God had revealed, a religious system to worship the zodiac, the skies, instead of the living God who made them. And of course, in all false religion, the basic premise is man earns a right to somehow worship God. It's the exact opposite of the Bible. Of the oyster roast, I asked one gentleman, I said, how sure are you that you'd go to heaven? One hundred percent. I said, fantastic. Why are you hundred percent? Quote, I am a very good person. I wasn't laughing. I was saddened. But I had a chance to share Christ with him. Now, I said, I grew up just like you did as a Roman Catholic. And I said, you have to decide whether the Bible is true. And the Bible says that you don't need a boost from underneath. You need a birth from above. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And that's not something you can work for. It is something you humbly receive. So here's Nimrod back in Genesis 11. And he created this tower of sorts And of course, that's what's being referenced here. And on her forehead, a name was written, on her forehead. Now that's very illustrative, because remember, she's described this religious system in sexual terms like a prostitute. She's likened as a harlot, and every harlot in the first century wore a headband. That's how she advertised. That's how you remembered her when you wanted to come back and see that prostitute again. Now, remember again in the opening verse of the revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show to His bondservants, the things which must soon take place, and He sent and communicated it. He signified it, the margin said. He signified it. In other words, the revelation is given through these symbols and these signs, and most of the symbols and signs are defined for us within the Scripture itself. So Babylon is pictured, as we'll study this chapter, as a false religious system. It's gonna be prevalent in the first three and a half years. Then the Antichrist, when he's got all the nations of the world glued together through this false religion, he's gonna say, you can't be a Buddhist and a Muslim and a Catholic and a liberal Protestant. You're gonna worship me and me only. And it will all change. Now, the headquarters of this one world religion is Babylon. There's only two places in the Bible that are reckoned as Babylon. One is a place called Iraq. And the other, where there is a code name, and we'll study it next week. And there's only one city in all the world that will meet its criteria. And it is the city of Rome. Now, you need to come back for next week. Now, finally, let's look at the persecution of this false religion. Beyond its perversion, its power, its prosperity, its predecessor, let's think about the persecution of this false religion. We're told now in verse 6 And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. She martyred God's people. And with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus, when I saw her, I wondered greatly. Now, verse 6 describes this harlot as being drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And that's what's going to happen during the tribulation. The church is gone. God raises up 144,000 Jews, two witnesses, an eternal angel angel that will preach the gospel in the sky. And those who have never heard the gospel before will be saved. And those who are saved, what happens? They'll have their head cut off. You say, that's so barbaric. That's what he will do, just like the Muslims are doing, just like he did with those 22 Christians on that beach in Egypt. Confess Allah. No, we will not. Off goes your head, and that will happen to millions and millions and millions of people. You say, well, thank God I'm not planning to be here because I'm saved and I'm going to be raptured. Thank God if you know Christ and you are saved. But I want to tell you, you need to prepare your children and your grandchildren because we are living in the shadows of the tribulation and persecution against God's people are growing. Not to mention the promises, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, John is giving a a vision of this coming persecution, and he sees this woman and this murdering entity drunk with the blood of God's people, and he says, I wondered greatly. He's just blown away, which is where we'll pick it up next time. Now, let's talk about how are we going to apply this to our lives today. Let me suggest three applications as I close our time. Number one, God sees all false religion as an abomination. Look, I don't care if you're the Pope of Rome or the head of some Protestant denomination. You never sanction what God Almighty calls evil. And if you do, then you are showing your true colors. God sees all false religion as an abomination. In verse four, this one false world religion is full of abominations. And this woman is likened to a harlot. And on her forehead, she advertises her harlotry. Now, what is an abomination? It's not good. Whenever God speaks of an abomination of Scripture, He speaks of something that He absolutely detests. So, for instance, in Leviticus eighteen twenty-two, "You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female." It is an abomination. Or in Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things which the Lord hates. He has seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. I couldn't help but read that this week and think about our two governors in this United States of America. Oh, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. How evil. Those are 21st century Herod's. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among brothers. These things are an abomination then and they are today. Listen to what God said speaking of idolatry in Ezekiel's day. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which they will be carried captive. How I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts and turned away from, which turned away from me and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols, and they will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed for all their abominations. Listen, America is being judged. We are being judged with illicit heterosexuality. Romans 1 teaches that. And we are being judged with perverted homosexuality. In, In this nation, we have politicians and preachers that say this is a good thing. God is giving this nation and this world over to a depraved mind. And so one organization mailed out to private schools across the country, and we received one at Community Bible Church Christian Academy, a book entitled How to Have a Happy Life by L. Ron Hubbard, who is the founder of a cult known as the Church of Scientology. And in it, He tells all these young high school students and junior high kids, it's okay to have sex as long as it's with one committed partner. Here's one committed Christian blogger well-known across the blogosphere. She writes, imagine thinking sunlight was sinful. Your bedroom is in the basement. You go out with friends, but only at night. You keep your blinds drawn. Vitamin D deficiency is worming its way into your bones, and your depression has gotten worse. You have low energy, and some days you can barely get out of bed. You miss picnics and feeding the ducks at the pond and walking for ice cream and watching oak trees move in the wind. Imagine being convinced that something healthy and sacred and life-giving was sinful. And then imagine that you have to try to give up that thing. And then she goes on, and she compares it to being gay. Imagine how the heart of God breaks for God's children when they carry the weight of sin that isn't sin. Imagine how the heart of God breaks for us when we reject holy and healthy and beautiful gifts that God is longing to give us because we have gotten it stuck into our beautiful, scared souls that those gifts will kill us. And then mixing biblical truth and error, she continues, the LGBTQ community has too much to give to the world for us to waste away, praying against a self that is God-created and a God-blessed and God-ordained thing that is holy and good. I just hope you know that believing it is okay to be gay or trans or queer does not mean giving up the idea of following Jesus on the hard road. You can have Jesus, and you can have your wickedness the fellowship of christian athletes was rejected in a local school why because they define marriage as between a man and a woman and of course it must have been difficult for the headmaster who has a transgender son listen false religion is an abomination second be cautious of linking arms with so-called Christians who compromise God's truth, God's Word, in the name of unity. Be careful. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. It's articular from the body of truth that we call the Word of God, the Bible. And God says this will happen in latter days. There's the last days that began at Pentecost. And the term last days in the Old Testament can refer to the very end of the days, the last of the last days. But latter days always refers to that time sequence right before the second coming of Messiah to the earth. Not the rapture, but the second coming. And God reminds us that in latter times, in latter days… People will fall away from the faith. There's coming an apostasy. And the seeds for that apostasy, for that one world religion, are being sown in the day that we live in. Jesus said, and at that time, many will fall away. Scandalizo. We get our word scandalous from it. They'll scandalizo. And will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Remember when Paul wrote the church at Thessalonica? They thought, well, we must have misunderstood Paul. We thought the rapture came before the day of the Lord, but obviously we misunderstood him because we're in the day of the Lord. And the rapture mustn't come first. And Paul says, let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come the day of the Lord that he just mentioned in verse two that follows after the rapture unless the apostasy it's articular, not just apostasy. We've always had apostasy, but there was coming the apostasy where all of the religions of the world will basically spit in the face of God Almighty and His Holy Bible in God the Son, and they will embrace this one world religion unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, that's Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction. Listen, the battle And our day is raging like never before. I see it in so many different avenues. Jen Hatmaker, she was a cash cow for Lifeway Books. Ten years ago, some women came to me. You think we could do Jen Hatmaker? I said, absolutely not. I would never let her material in this church. And I know I took a little heat for it. Of course, last year, she came out in favor of same-sex marriage, and even Lifeway Books had to drop her. Those are seeds for apostasy, and I see women's ministry, in dangerous women like Beth Moore, dangerous people, and so many women and and men who are blinded, and I don't always blame them because they are untaught and their pastors are not feeding them, and I don't blame these women who came to me because they were new Christians. World Vision decided that their employees could work for them and not necessarily believe marriage to be between a man and a woman. And when that hit the press, evangelicals came unglued. And so the board who made the decision reversed the decision. Why? Because they were going to lose millions of dollars. I wouldn't give them a dime. They were driven by money and not by truth and principle. I'll give to Compassion International or some other reputable organization, but certainly not World Vision. A Christian organization came to me three or four months ago, wanted to use our fellowship hall to have their banquet. I said, well, let me just ask a couple questions, you know. We, we want to work together as a body of Christ. And as it turns out, they have women on their staff who are teaching high school men. I said, no, what you're doing is you're setting a model that is antithetical to the Word of God. They're children. No, they're not. If they're 18 years old and they can defend this nation, they're not kids. And they're in transition and they should be learning biblical principles and these women should not be dismissing the high and holy role that God has placed on motherhood. But you see, the church in America is untaught. That's why a leader in the church, a pastor, Titus 1.9, is to be holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Listen, unity and brotherhood it sounds great. Oh, let's all join arms, Jesus said. By our love for one another, they will know us. And we have distorted a verse, taken it out of its context, totally abused it. He's talking about local assemblies like this, the fact that we get along and we love one another. That's how an unbelieving world, he is not saying you link with every apostate across the county and across the country and that that's how you show your love for each other. And so that blogger that I quoted describes herself in her blog, an Atlanta-based writer, itinerant chaplain, an amateur mystic, She lives and writes in the in-between places of queerness, loving Jesus, and rediscovering the Bible after fundamentalism. See, that's what they call me, a fundamentalist. And most people are ignorant of church history and the origins of the term where it came at the turn of the 20th century when liberalism had walked in the front door and some Christians said, here are seven non-negotiables that we must believe and embrace. These are fundamentals of the faith and if someone holds to these, we can link arms. But you see, you can love Jesus and live wickedly. Third, and finally, the only way to guard yourself from apostasy is to become a Christian. I want you to know that the opposite of truth is not error, it is sin. And Jesus plainly taught that people will not embrace the truth because they are first choosing to embrace sin. We've been learning all the way through the Revelation, and as this chapter illustrates, when a person will not believe the truth, It's not because of an intellectual problem. It's always a moral problem. You can be totally intellectually honest and study the historicity of Christianity and be convinced this is a unique book. But if you love the darkness more than the light, you'll come up with 1,000 reasons why you cannot follow Jesus Christ. And if you go to hell with a hard, unbelieving heart, it will not be God's fault. It will be yours. And if you love your sin and want to embrace what God calls wrong, yeah, you'll go to that college campus. Come on out. We're going to sleep with women tonight. Come on out. We're going to smoke weed. Come on out. We're going to get wasted. Come on out. We're going to sleep with the people of the same sex. And you'll believe it if that's what you want. And that's what the one world religion is going to offer the people of this world. Listen, one of these days, maybe sooner than we think, the rapture of the church will take place. And if it happens, I promise you, everyone within the sound of my voice, if you don't know Christ, it will be too late for you. You will not be able to believe. Only those who have not heard the gospel before. Listen, today is the day of salvation. You say, how do I get it? One, you must see your sin for what it is. It's evil. We're all sinners. You can't hold on to sin and receive forgiveness. You must repent, you must change your mind, what God says about sin. You must see the cross as God's substitutionary payment, that Jesus died in your place, bearing your wrath, proving it when he was raised from the dead. And then by faith, not by works, by simple trust, you give your life to Jesus, you trust in his death and resurrection to save you and to make you a new person. Have you done that? You can do it today. Tomorrow may be too late for someone. Now, Holy Father, I pray for every dad in this room, every grandfather, every mom, every grandmother, even those who don't have children, but you've called them to be disciples, and you've called them to teach all that Christ has taught. Help us to guard our hearts from which flow the issues of life. Help us, Holy Father, to put our mind in this book for our thoughts to be renewed. Help us not to have a baby approach to the Word of God, but to have a hunger by which we will dig deeply into the truth of your word. We know we live in evil days, but thank you that we're sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That just as Noah could raise a godly heritage in the midst of a wicked world, so you promise us as parents. I pray, Father, for someone who's here, they may be seven, they may be 77, but they've never asked Jesus to save them. Thank you that the gift of God is eternal life. Thank you that gifts are not earned, but humbly received. Help someone today to take you at your word, for you promised whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Help someone, our Father, today to say, Lord Jesus. I come to you at my sin, I ask you to forgive it and to change me and to save me through your cross. Lord Jesus, save me. And give them the courage, whether they are here or in Graniteville or in Grays or in Bluffton, to make it public. Help someone, Father, here who knows you and loves you but needs a church home to take their stance today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: To listen again to today's study from the Revelation entitled The False Religion of Babylon, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV48. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and contributions of listeners like you. Tomorrow we begin a look at the woman and the beast. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.